So, Hapim Im is a former U.S. presidential appointee and the board of the Corporation for National and Community Service, and she serves as the president and founder of Faith, of uh, sorry, Faith and Community Empowerment, FACE, formerly KCCD, a non-national nonprofit that empowers churches and nonprofits to build capacity, leadership, and partnerships in economic development. FACE serves as a bridge between the Asian American community and the community at large. Since its inception in 2001, FACE has worked with over 500 partners, ranging from the White House to Fortune 500 companies. Successful initiatives include educating over 8,000 uh, 8, home buyers and helping them to obtain over $1.4 million in down payment assistance, saving over $91 million in mortgages from foreclosure by partnering with both FDIC and Freddie Mac in developing a Korean curriculum in financial literacy and homeownership, by implementing a historic $5 million U.S. Department of Labor Workforce Development Program, and hosting joint conferences with the White House and the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development to mobilize 5,000 Korean American churches for economic, economic development. We're very fortunate to have her with us today, and I welcome her. Good morning. Again, my name is Hei Pin Im. Um, as mentioned, I serve as CEO of Faith and Community Empowerment, FACE. We like to say that we bring the face of God through service and lift those who are faceless. We've been around 18 years, and I'd like to just start off by sharing a little bit of my story. So uh, I grew up as a pastor's kid, and my parents uh, were called to ministry, and they thought that they were going to go and save souls, you know, preach the gospel, and they did a lot of that. But in addition, um, they ended up really becoming unpaid social workers because the need in the congregation of needing jobs and housing and mother-in-law problems, children problems were so great. And for what they had, you know, it was pretty good. But I saw them struggle, and I always thought there should be a better way. And another piece was that whenever um, I would hear in the news about Christians, um, usually it was always something negative. And it would pain me each time that God would be dishonored and that Christians had a bad name. And I saw this verse in the Bible, Matthew 5.16, that says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and praise your Father who is in heaven. And in a similar pathway, I see also Asians, but particularly during the LA riots, the Korean community, uh, even though out of the billion dollars in property damage were incurred by Koreans, um, basically, instead of being treated as victims, we were treated as perpetrators. And when we were kicked down and crying, um, there were no one there to cry with us. And that was a question for me. And so uh, in that process, I came across some amazing models. Um, and so that's part of the thrust of our presentation today, which is to shine our light right, in such a way that really brings um, and creates voice for our community, as well as leadership and unity. And so with that, um, our organization's mission is to advance the Asian American community's participation um, as well as uh, contribution and influence through faith and community partnership. So we have a 30-second video uh, during our 15th anniversary when the name was originally Korean Churches for Community Development. We changed our name because there were so many others already under our tent. 
Um, and so it wasn't to expand our reach, but to recognize and create a more welcoming environment. For the well. past 15 years, Casey. <laughs> it goes really fast, so you have to pay attention real quickly. <laughs> For the past 15 years, KCCD has provided hope, voice, and light to the community through faith and community partnerships. Since 2001, KCCD has garnered many partners from the White House to Fortune 500 companies to bring many firsts to the community. On November 15th, we will celebrate our 15th anniversary and kick off the 25th anniversary of the LA Riots Commemorations Haiku Campaign. Please join us by visiting www.kccd.org. Okay, with that, let me... Can we, oh yeah. This so video was this made is possible by Curiosity Stream. Watch <laughs> over 2,000 documentaries for free for 30 days. <laughs> okay, so as mentioned, here are some of the initiatives. Um, again, uh, by leveraging the power of churches, we have been able to lift up uh, the work of churches as well as create a welcoming space and a seat at the table. And I'll be able to share that we've had over 700 partners. And I want to just emphasize that the thrust of our organization has been to make friends, right? Not when you need them, <laughs> but way before, so that when you do need them, uh, you can call upon them. And so you'll see that from White House to Fortune 500 companies, and we're not a big house, uh, but we've been able to leverage those type of relationships. Um, and part of the thing that I learned was that as Asian Americans, um, the model minority myth really robs our community of relationships, opportunities, and investments. And part of that is because others keep labeling us as who we are and as Asian Americans because we're not on the PowerPoints, uh, we're not on the talking points, <laughs> we're not on the panel, and many times, majority of the times, we're not in the room. And so for all that, uh, a lot of times, we're if and when we're in the room, we don't think any of the issues are relevant to our community, and so we remain silent, and there isn't any kind of platform because of the lack of investments. Again, I'm very thankful to Princeton, uh, to the leadership here, as well as to uh, President Barnes, that he actually said, I'm gonna invest here, because we wouldn't have this kind of conversation. We won't be able to see each other um, as well. So I already mentioned about that. So as I said, I always thought there should be a better way. And when I grew up, I came across this African-American church, First AME of Los Angeles. And they were doing the very same work that my parents were doing. Uh, I know that the, you can't read the financials, but trust me. <laughs> um, basically, they have several affiliated nonprofit organizations with the church. And they're offering, because of the affiliated nonprofit, the church offering was $3 million, but they brought in an additional $12 million by being able to partner with corporations, governments, and other entities. And as you can tell, even for a prayer breakfast, the cheapest meal of the day, the kind of funding from major corporations, $100,000, $50,000, and they were using that to run, again, the various initiatives, including several housing, uh, affordable housing, senior housing, venture capital, and so forth. And basically, because of this model, 
they were able to pay their workers, right? And then they were also able to really increase their impact. I know that for many Korean churches, again, my baseline is Korean, a reference point, but whether it's Asian, Korean, they're all into homeless feeding, which is like one of the simplest ways of service. And they would feed 600 families with two weeks grocery supply every month. But they had everything else. And, but the more positive thing was that because they partner with the broader community, the stakeholders had a vested interest in applauding the work of the church because the church's success would be their success. And if the church fails, they fail. So they had that vested interest. And it was an amazing model that I saw. And so as they lauded the work of the church in rooms and places where God is usually never mentioned, that basically uh, their influence and welcome grew. And so they were brought to the table, decision-making table. And the thing is that for many Christians, what happens is that we're so busy lauding, I'm sorry, getting, fixing the problem after the decision that created the problem uh, was made, and we, we abdicate those decision-making table and rooms, right? And so again, I really want to encourage, this was the model that I saw, and particularly again, after the LA riots, I said, I saw Asian Americans, not just Koreans, again, being treated and labeled as the enemy, as evil, <laughs> um, and a, a community that needed no investment, a community that's to be resented. And so in that way, I thought, gosh, you know, this is such a win-win-win model, right? You get paid, you grow influence, God gets honored. I mean, like, what a model. And I decided that I would like to bring this to the Korean community, but it was a passing thought, but God had intentions. And the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development decided to invest in the Korean community. We partnered together. They asked me, and it was a first faith-based economic development conference. They asked me how many people I expected. I threw a number, 350. The White House was flying in. All the big dogs in the room were coming as speakers. And three days before the event, and this has a registration fee, I checked the registration list. Only 10 people were registered. You could imagine, right? <laughs> and I said, God, you know, was this your idea? Was this my idea? How did I bring myself here? And the sudden image of Moses standing at the edge of the Red Sea popped in my head. I said, you know what? I bet this is what Moses must have felt, right? How did I bring myself here? But as bleak as that situation looked, if God had not intervened, Pharaoh would never have let those people go, and all those people would never have followed him. And as bleak as my situation looked, it was very clear that so many miracles had happened that I knew it wasn't me, that it was God's idea. And we pushed forward. And lo and behold, 350 plus people came. And I have to say, I always thought God was a little petty for wanting to grab all the credit because, okay, I'm sorry, you know, the story of Gideon, <laughs> story of the Gideon gave me some hope because God delivers. I, I, I was taught in Sunday school, God delivers at the last minute because he wants all the glory, right? Um, and so, but anyway, so I always thought God was a little petty, but that morning <laughs> when 350 people showed up and I knew it wasn't me, but it was God, right? It gave me tremendous boldness that because it was God, that if God is for me, who can be against me? 
and it has taken me to lots of rooms and places where in my own strength, I would never have been able to walk through those doors. But because I knew it was God, uh, amazing things have happened to this day. So let's go on. Um, and so we hosted our, we did a local conference. It led us to the national conference because even in spite of all that success, there was no line for Asians to stand in because of the model minority myth. And so we knew we had to go to Washington, D.C. And this also happened in the middle of 9-11, where they, all the speakers pulled out and et cetera, et cetera. But uh, we had a, ultimately, God delivered. And we were able to get ourselves on the local and the national map as well. And subsequently, we've had over 10 national summits from, with White House speakers, funders, everyone else, as well as local conferences, again, to equip our leaders. And as mentioned, we won this $5 million grant in our fifth year to help at-risk and adjudicated youth. People don't associate adjudicatedness with our community, but we'll show some additional data, and there's a lot more to this story, as well as a housing program where we help the family with over $160,000 in down payment assistance to help them get into a home. And we've won some national awards. I felt like we were, uh, what is it? I was at the Academy <laughs> Awards. But um, I want to highlight, I've been in meetings, rarely where Asians participate. But this was a bank that was showing how much funding that they gave to different community groups. Out of all those groups, there was only two that were Asian. And in California, this is in California, Asians represent twice the population of the African-American community, but we were getting one half, which means we're getting one-fourth a share when there are 38 Asian languages in California. And again, as mentioned, you know, who stands at the gap when there's a problem in the community? It's not the business community because they have to make money. <laughs> it's not professionals because they have to work for their employees. It's usually the nonprofit community and if we could also mobilize the faith community, as in other communities, we could be such a powerful voice. But again, it takes money. Just like with President Barnes and David and Isaac and the whole team investing time and money that we could see each other, right? Because even for me coming here, I'm seeing other leaders in the Asian American community that I'm going to invite in the future. But where do we get that platform? We rarely, and I, I always bring up the example of Susan Boyle with America's Got Talent. She had this amazing gift and talent before she ever got on that show. But as soon as she walked on that stage, people were rolling their eyes and dismissing her. But as soon as she opened her mouth, you know, her gift of voice, that moment was a transformational, defining moment in how she was able to bless the world and how she in turn became blessed. And for the Asian American community, the faith community, a lot of times we don't have that platform. And so we get dismissed immediately. People are rolling their eyes incorrectly, right? And so we, we, get, we get left out, we miss out, but the world gets to also miss out. And so over and over again, we've been able to shine our light in such a way that we build bridges Right? that brings unity, solidarity, and at the same time, increases welcome and interest and excitement. So I just want to share, again, you know, there's, there's this model minority myth, 
that we are doing so great. But you'll see, especially again from the Korean community, but again, when you disaggregate data, that Koreans have one of the lowest median income with Latino, black, and Native Americans. You know what, it's not just the Caucasians, black, and Native, others that get surprised, it's Koreans that get shocked too, right? They're going, no, and they start second guessing the data, but this is US Census, right? Um, the language barriers, Korean, Vietnamese, Chinese. So we get left out if there's any kind of a universal out, outreach approach, we get left out. And again, you'll see local national data that's consistent with all the other communities as well. And in LA County, in terms of assets and median households, again, lower than a lot of other communities, right? Um, and then discrimination in the home buying process, in the rental process. And in LA County, Koreans had the lowest home ownership rate of any group, you know, even Latino black as well. How many of you knew that? I just want to know before this conference. Okay, the two, three that I spoke to before, right? <laughs> and the thing is that you guys are leaders. You guys are the voice for our community as faith leaders, as leaders, period. But if you're in a room and people are talking about homeownership or discrimination, would you be speaking about our community if you don't know? No one is convening us and highlighting these points, and I'm gonna continue. So how did First AME get that power and influence? You know what, one important piece is the political process, elected officials, getting the attention of elected officials because ultimately they make the rules. You know, those who are legal and illegal, it could change overnight. And all those people that are de being deported right now is because whoever is in policy, right, changing the rules and laws. So, Elected officials, what are their priorities? You know what? They want to get reelected. And what do they need? Large gatherings, financial resource, community partners, a good cause. You know, vote for me and, you know, I'll do this for you, right? Um, as well as media exposure. Well, First Amy Church did all of that. They did all the good works. They had the large numbers. Um, and the media, whenever elected officials come, they would line up their kids and employees, they would kiss the babies, the media would show up. So elected officials love giving money to First Amy. And I thought, you know what? Korean churches have those numbers. Maybe we could do the same thing, right? And this is interesting. When we first started off, we had no money, no staff, no nothing. And you know what, right now K-pop, K-wave is very popular and sexy, but back then, whether it's church or Korea, very unsexy, right? And so really, whenever I come into the room, you know, it's like, how can I help you, right? But when I would show these numbers of mega churches, you know, a congregation from 1,000, right, to over 4,000, right now some of those numbers are 8,000, offering from a million to 6.9 million. Now it's like some churches is $15 million each. Those, you know, like, how can I help you? You know, to how can I help you? And things have shifted. And it's just like that Susan Boyle moment in which you're able to shine your light in such a way that they see you and recognize you and want to be your friend. And that's what we've experienced over and over again. And I don't want to say just Korean-American churches, but there are other groups in the Asian-American community where churches have presence and number as well. So I want to share about the home ownership fair. 
I have limited time. So, you know, as mentioned, I, you saw those data points, right? And I saw that our city had a program at the time of $120,000 in down payment money. This is like practically free money. It still exists in some different forms, so call, call me if you want to become a homeowner. But anyway, so um, we said, you know what? Koreans are not showing up at these fairs that other groups host. You know, so most people, because of model minority myth, think, oh, those Asians, you know, they don't need any help, and that's why they never show up. But we knew otherwise, right? And so we did an event, and we approached banks. We went to an event to see who the funders, speakers, funders don't want to reinvent the wheel. And we called the same people that we got those business cards physically at the event. You know what they said? They don't do homeownership fairs because they had no interest in the Asian community. We were not on the map. But we somehow got them in the room, and at the first event, 600 people turned out. And one of the banks did a credit score check. 125 people did it. They told me, the bank told me, 95% had credit scores over 750 plus. Do you get it? Well, you know what? When we told the banks, what happened? How can I help you to, how can I help you, right? And one of those institutions, what, I mean, subsequently we had more people coming, but one of those institutions was Freddie Mac. And since then, they have now become subsequently one of our core funders that have funded us locally and nationally. So again, you know, when, when someone says no, it's not a permanent note. They just don't know. <laughs> and so you have to shine your light, right? Just like Susan Boyle. I keep mentioning that, right? Uh, so we already mentioned that. So we've had some amazing successes uh, in the community. And it's not just locally, but nationally, because other Asian American groups have also come on board and gotten the same kind of attention. Now, I want to go, I, want, I have so much to share, but the model minority myth I told you, robs us of relationships and investments. And in the particular area with the African-American customer, and not just Korean, but Asian store owners, there is an ongoing stress point. And so if you think of that situation, it wasn't just the LA riots. In Ferguson, Baltimore, when the African-American community felt a sense of injustice, instead of actually going against the system that <laughs> hurt them, they actually ended up hurting the Asian business owners. And it's like, where's the, you know, it's like Rodney King. Rodney King has nothing to do with a Asian or Korean store owners, but where's this connecting point? And, and so if we do not address this challenge over and over again, we will be at that point where we will be the victim, the unintended victim. So, the part of the challenge for me, um, as actually at an equivalent level, I'm struggling with evangelicals who support Trump, is that uh, with the African-American community, the best mentors have been from the African-American. My model of our organization came from the African-American community. The people who opened doors for me have been from the African-American community. And yet, when I'm in the room, regardless, they talk crap about our community. And I'm just appalled because I know that these are enlightened leaders and, and I want to be in relationship with them and yet they're talking crap about my community. And so it was a struggle, especially my personal mentor. Um, and I thought, what is wrong with this picture? And I came to the realization that, you know, there is a myth 
that keeps being perpetuated in the African-American community about Asians, but particularly Korean and Asian business owners, liquor store owners. And again, the word liquor, I think, is politicized. It's a local convenience store. And what happened was that I saw that they perpetuate this myth that put these store owners in the category of evil. And if you do evil against evil, you're actually fighting on the side of justice, right? I mean, you know, I don't usually talk, well, I try not to talk crap about other people, but you know what, there is one person that I, I actually do, and that is President Trump. Because I have put him in the category of evil, so when I speak about the evil things that he does, I feel like I'm doing something good. Right? I feel like I'm fighting on the side of justice. Right? So, so in the same way, that's what I realized, that these myths, that basically that these Asian store owners get special government loans that are only available to Asian store owners and not to the black community. And so these Asian store owners have stolen the business opportunity from the black community. So they really owe something back to them. Right? And that they target these communities their communities to rip them off and sell bad stuff, right? And also they're making tons of money uh, off their backs, right? Uh, what else is there? Um, and that they're outsiders, as well as that they're rude, racist, blah, blah, blah. You know what? My husband works, I mean, family worked at a, owned a liquor store. He told me that it takes normally two people, two shifts to run, but because they were over leveraged, and under-resourced, the father had to take two shifts, and that's why he worked those 16 hours. And he was recruited, <laughs> and so literally he had to come and work. The mom worked as a nurse, but she also came to work, so they were all unpaid. So that's how they made the numbers work. And you know what? He didn't speak English well. He had to memorize all those, you know, <laughs> bottles and <laughs> beer names. But in addition, they were held up. This is a very dangerous job. They say that it is the second most dangerous workplace homicide victim rate. Number one is taxi driver. If you had choices and options, I don't think you would take a job <laughs> that requires that kind of risk. And if they were making all that money, I don't think they'd be there 16 hours, seven days, no holidays, no vacations, which was the lifestyle of my mother-in-law and father-in-law. And you know what, they're not making lots of money because they go to Costco and whatever margin is what they sell. So they're not ripping off, they just don't have the resource. And so, you know, I asked the people, I said, these people work there and live there longer than the average tenant, I mean average resident, right? They have more to gain in the advancement of the local community than anyone else. Really, if, if the local uh, community advances, you know what, they have better paying customers, they're not robbed, right? Uh, they make more money, it's a safer environment, all those kind of things, their business value increases. But they are never invited to the decision-making table. And they're never treated as a stakeholder in which they say, what do they need? You know, they always ask and demand, you know, to hire from the local. You know what, I have a solution. We have a, a transitional subsidized employment program in which the government plays, pays people's pay people salaries to get trained for jobs. Why don't you do that, right? If you look upon these business owners as stakeholders, as assets, because no one else is coming in, but these store owners are. But they have needs too, right? 
and then put these job trainees, the salary gets paid by the government, the individual from the local community gets trained, also better customer service, because maybe there's better English speaking staff. You know what, the owner, he has extra help, and maybe there's some uh, community relations, race building opportunity, because now someone from the community understands what it's like being on the other side. That's a better win-win approach. You know, if you tell someone to jump and they don't do it, you're not gonna be happy. But if you find out that they're in a wheelchair, something shifts a little, right? But you know, it still doesn't take away your need for them to still jump. But now, your approach to that solution is gonna be very different. Your conversation with that person will be very different. At least a minute, throw them on your back and you know, help them jump, right? And the thing is that in the conversation with other minority communities, if we say, hey, we're all in the same economic wheelchair, we're facing the same discrimination, how can we work together? How can we bring our strengths and gifts? Because at the end of the day, we have a shared common goal of a better community, stronger society. I do want to add here, education, 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 right? Yesterday we talked about education. Asian parents will do anything to help our children. And so if you'll look, bachelor's, master's, PhD, we shoot through the roof compared to any other group in terms of educational attainment. You think that you would translate into success in the world. Well, you know what? This study shows who will have the probability of being promoted to management. In the private sector, which is blue, Asians at 55%, African-American 65%, Latinos 74%, and Caucasians 111%. You think at universities and governments, because of more regulation, that there'll be less discrimination? For everyone else, Latino and black actually does. But for Asians, actually, it goes lower to 30 and 40%. So if you define discrimination based on return on investment, I would say Asians get screwed. So again, how do we define discrimination? Criminal justice system, you know what? Youth delinquency, you know what? Um, what uh, I wanna go first here. Asian and Latino youth, they should be tried in juvenile courts. But Asians and Latinos have the highest rate of being tried in adult courts. And once tried, blacks and Asians have the highest conviction rate. Where is the color of justice here? And around the foreclosure crisis, what little wealth that we had, all got taken away. We had the highest drop. So where do we go from here? I have a lot of war stories to tell, but I have to conclude. So, you know, as mentioned, we've had over 700 partners uh, from White House to Fortune 500, but also various ethnic communities. And it is partly because we learned what our God-given light was. We were able to find those places where we could shine our light. Just like Susan Boyle, she was given that platform and when she shined her light, there was that change in that room, change of energy. And I just wanna plant a seed today that really the Asian American community, we have our God-given light especially as the faith community. And we have amazing power that we don't use, that we could use. 
And how do we do that? You know, find out this afternoon. I want to conclude because I'm doing a workshop on the mechanics, right? But um, I realized that as we were doing this work for 18 years, I would have these incremental moments of success where I would meet a pastor and he says that he did his PhD dissertation on community service. So I get really excited, like, ah, an Asian pastor that finally gets it, right? Or we would have these really moments of great success. Um, I, I told you there's many battles and wars that we've won, you know, with pastors, you know, mobilizing with me. And so, like, I'm thinking, yay, they experienced it, they see it. So the next time I call, it will feel like I was starting from ground zero. And I said, what's wrong with this picture? God, what am I doing that is wrong? And I realized that if I was honest with myself, my dad, who is a first-generation immigrant pastor, one-man show with a part-time secretary, with you know, lots of you know, volunteer leadership, but could he take the information resource that I have this moment, would he be able to digest it, navigate, and get to the finish line? And the answer was no. The gap what institutions require and where the capacity of pastors were, that gap was too big. And so instead of just being resentful that they're not engaging, I said, you know what, how could I lay the stepping stones? And what I came to realize is that most churches, they don't have the infrastructure for church and community engagement or church and public, church and community partnership. Maybe they may have a local mission community, but for the most part, they don't have the know-how they don't have the skills, tools, the relationships, or the mindset. And so with that, we instituted something called the C2 Leadership Institute. And we have a handout, and we came out with something called the Black Belt Nonprofit Assessment. It's a roadmap, right, of how and where you need to go. And this C2 Leadership Institute is a nine-month boot camp. You come in with a project that you want to launch or expand, and we take it through the whole experience and you come out on the other side. I'm gonna tell one success story and a video testimony and then take questions. So one individual, <clears throat> she was a child human trafficking victim. And so her project was a children's career day. And you know, because she was robbed of her opportunity to dream for her future, she wanted to instill that to children. And so with that, we gave her her sexy name, Children's Initiative, gave her a business card, you know, all those kind of stuff. We taught her how to do the one-minute pitch, helped her develop her collateral. And basically, she was able to, uh, and we teach them how to partner and leverage resources. So she got a university to host the facility. She got the fire truck department to bring their gears to put on the children. She got fantastic Sam to curl the hair. Right, for the kids. She got the library to give out books to every kid that came, and a lot of other things, right? But there was a guy named, uh, owner of Boo's Philly Cheesesteak, supposedly like the most tastiest, you know, best Philly cheesesteak in the country. And he came as a speaker, and she was able to pitch to him and con convince him to donate sandwiches. And he hand delivered from Fulton, I mean, from LA to Fulton, which is like an hour drive. He's a busy guy, but he did it, right? And he asked me, how many. How long has she been around? She'd been around less than eight weeks. This program, as mentioned, you know, when you come out on the other side, um, you'll be equipped with those tools. So I really want to encourage you. So with that, I'm going to um, go to the next, uh, the video. 
so Alicia, she was a high school. So this program is for high school to adults. And this is a testimony uh, from a high school student. God called me to ministry. I thought he was sentencing me to the dungeon. But I grew up with the story of Jonah. If God calls you, don't run away because you'll go through hell and end up having to do it anyway, right? So I reluctantly, resentfully obeyed. And it's been an amazing journey. Lots of challenges, as Sam mentioned. Um, you know, God's favors there with the parted, you know, waves during the Red Sea. But there's also the ominous waves ready to just hunker down and threaten you as well. But I have to say that it has taken me to places and rooms I never imagined, uh, including the United Nations Conference through the Council General of Azerbaijan, which is a country 95% Muslim, to the uh, Council General of Israel, who has invited me. And through that relationship, I've been featured on LA, Los Angeles magazines as one of 10 inspiring women. Um, and places. But I have to say the bucket moment list was in the next picture, in being in the Oval Office with President Obama as one of eight faith leaders, only Asian, only female. Um, and so again, I feel like I'm a living testament to when we shine our God-given light, that we'll be in places and rooms that we never imagined. And I, my hope and dream is that we could do that definitely for the Asian faith community, but then in turn bless others uh, who are voiceless right, and faceless as well. Thank you. <laughs>